Greetings, Vault Hunters, and welcome to Echoes from the Borderlands, the podcast where we explore the iconic Borderlands franchise through conversations with the writers, devs, artists, and others who are responsible for its creation and its success. I'm your host, Joel Watson, and today we are taking a side quest from our main mission and talking about pride. Vault Hunter pride, and how you show off that pride in the meatiest of meat spaces, not to mention who you share that meaty pride with, and what you do after your meats mingle. Today we're talking about Borderlands licensing, community, and live ops. I'm joined by Director of Licensing, Erica Hollinshead-Stead, Lead Community Manager, Noelle Pugh, Managing Producer of Live Ops, Mario Rodriguez. Welcome. Sup? Hello, hello. Hello, yeah. We're starting off casual. <laughs> yeah, you told me to. <laughs> this, is, this is just a real chill environment. Um, I, I think uh, for anyone watching this on video, the environment is different uh, than it normally is. Uh, we are inundated with a mountain of officially licensed merchandise. Uh, just a truly unbelievable amount of stuff. If there's not a bunch of stuff around, I don't feel comfortable. This looks like your office, Erica. This is this is how our licensing department, uh, you swim Scrooge McDuck style through merchandise. Yeah, people do criticize us for our uh, office housekeeping, but like, if you see a bunch of stuff and a bunch of cardboard boxes, that means that we are being productive. There's work getting done, We right? do a ton of stuff. That's why <laughs> there is a ton of stuff in the office. You know, for the most part with, with these episodes, we've been talking to writers, devs, executives, artists, uh, but Borderlands is not a set it and forget it franchise. Long before and long after a game is released, there's small armies of people, uh, including you guys, continuing the important work of taking care of the games, taking care of our fans, taking care of our community. Uh, involves supporting the games beyond release, creating and nurturing community spaces, and making sure that fans are able to show off that meaty pride I talked about with t-shirts, maquettes, plushies, all the stuff that we are about to be crushed by in this in this very studio. Uh, so one thing I want to do first is, is sort of get a overview of what each of you do uh, and how it relates to Borderlands as a whole. Mario, what is Live Ops? Sure. Um, so Live Ops is basically everything that happens after the game releases. So once you get your initial launch, um, we tend to, here at Gearbox, tend to support our games for a long time afterward. So, is that common? Um, it really depends on the companies, but we, I think, do it very, very well. Um, if, an example, Borderlands 3, we supported that game for years after the game launched with multiple season passes and uh, seasonal events, um, mini events. Uh, we did a lot of things like that. So... Um, so yeah, we're very, uh, proud of what we do and, 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 you know, looking at the game, um, when it released versus now, it's a completely different experience. And so we're super proud of that. Is there, I know that, I know that it's been so long that we've had, you know, uh, day one updates and, and people expect patches and it's, con it's considered a live living thing up until a point. And, and it hasn't always been that way. Does it change how we approach development? Not in a, we'll fix it later <laughs> kind of way, but in a, we're, we're not done. Like we can keep going kind of way. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's there's the usual, like, you know, uh, we have a specific timeline. So there are things that we would love to make in, in all of our games. Um, that But being able to patch our games and, and continue to develop them after they release um, kind of makes a lot of those things a reality. And so, um, so yeah, we do a lot of those things, and 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 like they keep going uh, for for years after. And with Borderlands, we tried to do uh, 
we take some risks and try to do some different things here and there. Like we have our traditional DLCs that are big pieces of content. Um, but more recently, we've been able to do things like mini events and micro patch events and things like that, where we can manipulate some data in the game and make something uh, kind of unique for for players out there that um, we can kind of do on a quicker uh, cadence. Do you look at the way players are playing from the back end and go, "Oh, if we change this, that'd be fun"? Yeah, for sure. Um, even um, even from Wonderlands, um, we actually got community uh, engagement into to create an actual mini event where people just voted um, online to kind of see what they wanted in different dungeon runs and. Even though it turned out to be all mimics, uh, <laughs> See, it's they... the problem is giving people what they ask for. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's yeah. the hard part. <laughs> but that was a fun week, not just for the players, but also for us. I mean, yeah. it was something really unique that we hadn't done before. It, it's uh, interesting coming from. Um, I've got to be the oldest person here, right? Probably. Uh, I don't let, think you can't be very much older than me. I'm I'm 42. Um, yeah. <laughs> I I come from. Uh, you know, here's your game, and. If it's broken, which I did have an NES game with a glitch that, I mean, you could not beat it. It was unbeatable because of a glitch on the final boss that you just think, you internalize that as I suck. Like, I'm not I'm not good enough to beat this. And they can't fix it. And then every great once in a while, if it's a hit, if it's a Mario, there's multiple revisions of that cart, but you never know what you're going to get. The way that we develop now and the way that you support games now, it... A, I think, eliminates that possibility to the best of our ability. But B, like you're saying, it keeps this um, ongoing sense of what's happening now. Like it's not a it's not a finished product. It's an active sort of community space at that point where, where you can do these events with other, you know, like-minded gamers. Yeah, for sure. And and now we have the power to do that for, you know, a lot of our games. So for example, Borderlands 2. Um, that game released, and then seven years later, we decided to release a DLC that was a bridge to Borderlands 3. Right. So um, so that was something that, again, was something we hadn't done before. Um, but we have the ability to do it now. And okay. that's really exciting. And in, in, in respect to, like, looking at the numbers and deciding what to do, how much does a lot of people are still playing Borderlands 2 affect your decisions there? Uh, it. It is something we take a look at very closely. <laughs> I uh, mean, all the time. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel yeah. like there's there's um, a, as developers and as publishers, we we have this keen insight into what are people actually doing with these games that we're putting out. And man, if they never put it down, like I don't know, there's a there's a reward to be we we're being rewarded by the fact that it's still selling. So let's reward them by by continuing support. That's I will awesome. say, and he might not even know this, but like. I for sure take that information of how many people are still playing X game. And I like I've said that number in business meetings, like pitches with retailers, like et cetera, like the information that you have. We take it and use it in ways sometimes that you don't even know about. That's awesome. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> uh, Noel, as lead community manager, are you in direct communication with fans or are you are there layers between you and the fans? Um, it kind of depends on which platform. So Yes, sometimes. Um, and then sometimes it's like in the case of the Discord, it's uh, that community is a actually a community ran Discord um, that is an official server. And we have the amazing moderators that uh, kick ass every day. And um, so for a lot of the time, they're the ones who are like moderating it and taking care of it. But like we can go in there and like 
the community team in general can go in there and. But those have moderators those have a direct line that. to you, and yeah, so they have their. We have like a, a mod chat on the side, um, but yeah. Uh, other than that, like yeah, it's um, it's very much one on one. A lot of the time, uh, community kind of does a whole lot of a whole lot of things. A lot of the long form communications. A lot of the, um, but a lot of the like one offs. Like, hey, you've got a question. Like, let's go in and right. answer it too. Is that level of accessibility common, uh, especially in a AAA, you know, games developer and publisher? Um, it depends on the studio, kind of like with live in general. <laughs> I feel like both yeah. of you lit up and went, I know who I want to say doesn't do it, <laughs> but I can't. No, I, I, you know, I, I absolutely love seeing fellow community managers managing their communities and how they do it and the conversations that they're having and the little things they get to do with their community. Um, so there's not anybody I would be like, no, but there's, are bad. there's someone like, man, you guys are having a lot of fun over there. Like, and it's really resonating with the community. And so that's really exciting. So then we steal that idea and we do it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. I got you. Um, yeah. And generally like the different companies have different levels of teams and how many people they have able to fully support each one of their titles too. And so that makes Are we positioned impact. with with a robust team of, of community engagement or are we doing this on a a, a scrappy a scrappy team? <laughs> we are so scrappy. Okay. We are doing great. <laughs> so if you look at Gearbox community engagement and go, wow, they're getting it done, it's literally being done by a small dedicated team of people. Yeah, like for um, Borderlands 3 specifically, um, the on the Gearbox side, it was just me handling all of that. So yeah, I wouldn't say it was like, you know, a huge team, but we were able to get a lot of stuff and a lot of interactions and conversations going between the community and the developers and which is ultimately my actual position is like, right. keep it, that conversation going. It, so. the com and this sort of gets into what I was talking about with Mario, the way things have changed in, in, in recent decades is that's expected now. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like in a way that you might think it's expected that I should gripe about a movie I don't like on the internet, you are not expecting to have a discourse with the director. In games, I feel like the fans are like, no, nah, there's, depending on the publisher, there there's an open discourse and maybe I can have positive effect on the thing that I enjoy. Yeah, it's um, it's kind of a, I mean, it's, it's like a mix of that, but it's also a mix from the developers just wanting to be more transparent and open with that process. You know, like there is a lot of critiques out there on the internet, but people are a lot more excited and willing to root for like the people around that they're doing. And so being able to show off like, Hey, like, no, these guys, you know, like Mario's out here, you know, making, making some stuff happen. Eric is out here making some stuff happen. It's not a faceless monster stuff. corporation. Right. It's a faced monster corporation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I do have to say like, even though they're scrappy, like they get everything the community is saying and they bring it all back to us. Like, it's not like they're just keeping it in a vault somewhere. Um, we hear everything the community is saying just because of people like Noel that um, kind of are scouring the internet, basically getting all the feedback from players and then bringing that to our team and so that we can address some of the issues. That so there's saying. a direct flow from I bought the game, I played the game, I have feedback, I'm almost immediately able to get that feedback uh, submitted in a way that it's going to eventually reach the developers that can do something about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it, it's, I mean, we're I'm everywhere, you know, it's like in Twitch chats, we are in 
uh, we're on Twitter, we're in the discords, we're on, we're looking at the Facebook comments, anywhere, and Reddit and everything, anywhere that the community is, like, we are looking at them, YouTube comments, you know, all of it. Sounds like we're spying on them. Uh, yeah, aggressively. Yeah. yeah. Uh, for a reason. Eyes everywhere, but it's... Big sister is watching. Yeah, exactly. But we've gotten a lot of really great, you know, feedback from that community and have been able to implement that in the game with Mario's team. And just like, as we think about, you know, future titles from Gearbox. So it's been incredibly valuable to be kind of big sistering. What, at what point did you... Or have you had the realization yet that being extremely online could be a career? Because <laughs> I feel um, like part of what we're doing is showing the jobs that go into making Borderlands games uh, from, you know, artists and devs and writers to everything else. And I, I kind of want people to know, like, that's a job? Yeah. Um, it, it didn't super hit me until, honestly, until Borderlands 3 really launched. Um and then we had some other titles as well, but um, that one is where a lot of that, like, really going in there and really getting all of that information. And then Borderlands 3 was also a very different setup than we had had at Gearbox previously when it came to our games. So at me being there and we had our live team and we were getting all of this feedback and bringing it back. But that was the first time I was like, community is super, super important, guys. Like the things that they're saying actually do make an impact. We have some data to back up the things that we're seeing online. So I've got a list of like symptoms, right, that yeah. people are experiencing. How do we kind of like, how do we solve for this? Like obviously there's something going on that the community would like to see differently that would make them want to play this more, that would make them engage with this more, which just kind of turns into like they'll play more. Between collecting that data and going to Mario and, and, and your team, are there ever discussions of, well, yeah, they want that, but that's not great. Like, that's not good for the game. Yeah, for sure. Um, that happens all the time. Because also, I mean, you got to give it, I mean, the fans don't really know how um, we built the engine for the game. Right. Or they don't know how specific a Adding things... a wheel to the catcher ride is going to blow up the entire game. But <laughs> like, it doesn't matter how bad you want five wheels or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. So sometimes there are band-aid solutions. Sometimes there are things like that that we have to really uh, look into. And even though the feedback might say something, we might find a creative way to do something that might accomplish multiple things. So Yeah, um, yeah and so that's yeah. kind of a part of me saying, like, the symptom, right? Because somebody can be like, oh, It's not well, necessarily the problem. Right. It's just I feel or I kind of see or... I yeah. have a frustration with this particular part. Right. Which is actually that because they are, let's say, looking for guns at a certain level at a certain place, and they just want to be able to keep doing that. But they... They're like, this gun, is, this gun isn't dropping. What's there's a little on? gun desert here. Yeah. And so then it's like, hey, we're, we're seeing that there's some struggles here, but this doesn't line up with like what's actually going on when we look at the data and we can be like, oh, there's a gun desert. Yeah. Easy fix. Yeah. Um, Erica easy is fix. <laughs> director of licensing. Uh, I imagine you spend most of your time, let's say 90% approving or denying things with Claptrap on it. Well, okay. So first- <laughs> Is oh. that a horrible reduction of, of your important work? <laughs> um, well, first of all, I just realized live on the air, we are using my old job title. I am actually now creative director of licensing and biz dev. Hey, you got a promotion just now. Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations. Congratulations. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and 
so the distinction is basically like since licensing has expanded so much, like we're kind of getting to specialize. And so now like I don't spend my time as much in like the doing contracts and business meetings and I spend more time like actually cr criticizing people's things. Um, but I feel like I should probably explain what licensing is Absolutely. in the first place. Um, so licensing is essentially we have a property, we have an IP, we have a universe that we've built. Other people make things and sometimes they want to use our universe. And so a business deal happens and generally we get a royalty back, which is, you know, some percent might be 12 percent, 6 percent, et cetera, depending on what the product is, et cetera. Sometimes it's completely different than that because we will do a custom deal to facilitate a thing if we really believe in it. Um and then basically they submit their things to us and we give them feedback, direction. We give them some assets to help them execute their thing. And then in the end, we approve or deny it. And then depending on what the product is, there's still a whole bunch of steps between it and you, which might include like needing to sell it into retail or, you know, get it on an online website or however it connects to the people who are going to have it at the end. Um, that's that's the real explanation of licensing. But if I launch into that, trying to explain my job and people look bored, I just say, <laughs> okay, so really I spend a lot of time checking things to see if there are dicks in them that right. shouldn't be there. Sure. Um, sometimes like seeing if the dick joke is at the level that it should be for that particular property, or maybe it shouldn't be there at all. And also I kill other people's darlings. Dick joke evaluator. Yes. Darling killer. Yeah. This is <laughs> dream crusher. Dream crusher. This is when you come over the horizon with your armies and your banners are, are seen from from the castle turrets. They go, dream killer, dick noticer. The I'm other really thing. good at all of this. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Let's talk. Uh, let's talk dick jokes and merchandise then. Uh, when it's on purpose, obviously it's on purpose. When it's not on purpose, are you training yourself to go, mm, someone's going to think that's a phallus? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of funny because um, a lot of the job, both in the creative aspect and where you might be looking for dicks, et cetera. And <laughs> I mean, honestly, even in the business aspects, like doing contracts and stuff, you are always kind of looking for the worst possible possibility. Right. Um, and so like, like when I look at a thing, I don't get my mind out of the gutter. Like, you know, we're looking at things and then, um, you know, sometimes, and we, we have a little phrase if we have to, if we have to talk about this in mixed company, like among my team, we are very blunt. We're all used to it. It's part of the job. If we're like talking to another team, we're like, Hey, um, have you noticed that, that part of the logo there, it looks a little bit, um, awkwardly anatomical. <laughs> and then usually people are like, what do you mean? And then they look at it and then they're like, oh, oh, it's a oh. Dick. yeah. I like that you can be a sort of a liaison, a concierge, if you will, to people who aren't immediately scouting for dicks and everything. It's like, no, I'm just a regular person. I don't see that everywhere. Yeah. And well, I mean, in the other aspect, <laughs> and is you're like, like, I can help. Sometimes I feel like everybody sees it, but nobody is willing to be the person who puts their face on. Hey, I looked at that and I saw something perverted and I'm okay. like, hey. So you're jumping on a dick shaped grenade uh, yeah. for, for people yeah. that, that can't. And it's not. I you're mean, a hero. <laughs> I feel like we're we just like to say the word dick over and over again here. But like it's not just dicks. Like sometimes it's also like this just looks odd. This minor detail makes this character not look like themselves. Like. 
Um, everybody can see that when they look at this character in this figure or t-shirt art or whatever it is, like, you know, everybody's like, this This character doesn't look quite right. You know, why, why does she look so angry? She's not an angry character. It's wrong. I can tell you why it's wrong. It's that one little line right there. Right. Like, just turn that line upward at the corner and you're good to go. So it's... When you're when you're in that position to make those kinds of calls, I know you have style guides and things, but is it more just your intimate knowledge of the franchise, the characters, the games themselves? Yeah, I mean, like, so we do have style guides, but the the thing about the licensing style guides, we make those. Like, my team works with an agency to make those. Um, we usually have to shoot first before any of the branding is done on the game, et cetera, because of product timelines. Um, so we do have to get really deep knowledge of the game to then get that agency to make the style guide that we want. And the point of our style guide is kind of to make an asset set that anybody can take so that your grandma could take those assets and make cool t-shirt designs, basically. So so we made those style guides, but then we're also kind of in charge of choosing whether we're going to allow rule breaks of them. And, and honestly, like we do a lot. Like a lot of the time, what we're looking for is not, this does not fall comfortably in line with our style guide, but like, is this a cool product? Does it look right? Does it connect to when we encounter fans, what they reflect back to us about the character or the faction or the whatever this thing is that is capturing people's imaginations? You know, like we're we're trying to make sure that this is a thing that celebrates the universe that is going to connect with a person who connects to that particular part of the universe. And that is um, like like that's that's one of our big philosophies is. Okay, for one thing, like I consider myself to work for the IP, like I work for the universe. And that is that is what I serve. I'm not in the business of giving fans exactly what they want, because the best That's thing, Mario's job. Yeah. The best thing I can give them is something that protects that universe and does the right thing for that universe that they already love. And so then we have a philosophy that is we respect and we try not to say the word fans because we think that sounds a little arrogant sometimes, but we respect our audience or our fans by respecting the characters that they relate to. And so we have a lot of rules around like, like we try to never put the joke on our character. Like we can laugh with them, but we don't laugh at them. Um, I have a rule that we don't allow character dismemberments in product. Um, what, what happened that made you go, no, line in the sand, no dismemberments? Okay, so... We may be overhyping dismemberment a little bit, but like, <laughs> like people will have things where they want to make a product like, okay, so maybe somebody wants to make the, the lamp from a Christmas story, basically, except they want it to be Moxie's leg. I would probably say no to that because you are taking a limb off of our character and just mm. representing that limb instead of representing the character. That's weird. Hey, Vault Hunters. Since this episode is all about community, I thought I'd read a few of the suggestions that fans have submitted recently. Uh, let's see. Here's one from Sirensong67. They write, Claptrap plus Butt Stallion OTP forever. Should the official ship name be Clap Stallion or Butt Trap? I feel like that one's obvious. Uh, let's try another one. Lonesome Jack 68 says, three words, a trillion knives. And it just has an address to send royalty checks to. Uh, last one, ClapThirstTrap69 asks, why don't Gearbox and 2K offer a Borderlands bundle that has every Borderlands game to date for one great price? Why isn't it called the Borderlands Collection 
Pandora's box? And furthermore, why isn't it available now on Xbox, PlayStation, and PC? Honestly, I don't know. That actually seems like a pretty good idea. Um, when the podcast is over, I'll make some phone calls. So thank you, <laughs> Thanks. Um, let's talk about listening to players, fans, listening to the audience. Once a Borderland once a Borderlands game is released, does the feedback start flowing in immediately? Oh my god, before. <laughs> yes, what, immediately. What are they Come what are they I'm reacting saying. to before? The trailers? Trailers, the yeah. The trailers and just like the <laughs> hype and the yeah. things that they want it to be and they're putting all of these expectations on what it could be, um, which I think is the trap that we kind of get in with video games in general. But yeah, they're like, oh man, I want it to have this, I want it to have this, it better be like this, I can't wait. And they're theory crafting. I assume it has this <laughs> yeah right it, like and it's um they're theory crafting how they're going to play the characters like what kinds of weapons they're going to be able to do like how they're going to like blast through so yeah there's a lot that goes in before a game even comes out um i mean and every once in a while before the game comes out like they're reacting to anything they can get every anything. once in a while they're reacting to some stupid personal tweet that I made that is actually nothing to do with a work thing. <laughs> like, yeah, uh, constantly. Sorry, PR guy. <laughs> he, he knows. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and then, yeah, no, right after. It's, it starts being, it starts coming in. And usually they're, usually everybody's really excited, you know, right at first. Because they're like, yes, my hands are finally oh, it, on it. It's probably been four to five years since the last time they had a big official, you know. I mean, Borderlands game. was seven between two and three. I mean, like we had pre-sequel but in there pre -sequel, as well. pre-sequel, oh my God. Yeah, you know. Um, I said it was in there. Um, so, but I mean, that was, you know, a significant amount of time. And so fans were just clamoring. And then as soon as the game comes out, you know, they're excited. And then, and then the feedback starts rolling in. You hey, said, I wish this was a little different and that kind of stuff. That's interesting. Like I, I know that when you first, especially if you've been anticipating it, when you first get a game, yeah, you might spend a weekend in a hole where it's like, no, I just did 12 hours on a stretch or something. And that, that was my plan. I took off work, whatever. Like this is what I've been waiting for. But then to immediately go, they gotta, they gotta know what I think about this, but that it's appreciated. So like, it's, it, it's a weird impulse that I do not share and but I'm like, but it's going towards the betterment of of the game for everybody. So it's kind of wholesome. It I think it's I mean, I, I love doing this. Like I love yeah. doing community. I I love seeing, you know, what people are saying about it and just like, oh, you know, this little thing, this little thing, that little thing, and watching them watching everybody, you know, talk about the different things that they like and like debate kind of almost uh, to a point um debate yeah. to a point and just like keep that conversation going and engaging with it and is there ever a time when that happens that you're like we did not even think they were going to care about blah but they really care about blah like we've got to reinforce that somehow yeah i would probably say definitely i guess something that we could point to that i tend to point to a lot is when borderlands 3 first came out we didn't have um, dedicated drops. We didn't have dedicated places where you can go and refarm loot, but farming loot is really, really important to the Borderlands franchise as a whole. And so it comes out and everybody's like, uh, we didn't have the dedicated drops. They're like, how do I continue to get this thing? And it was a, it's something that everybody mentioned. It was like, Hey, I want to be able to farm the best version of this gun at all the levels. Um, 
And it was feedback that we brought back. And eventually we were able to add drop pools to to the game. And uh, then with Bounty of Blood, it was already in. Like, you know, that was right from the front at that DC DLC. Yeah, and I think I think not not only like is it cool to see that, but there are also um kind of cool moments that we we get to experience too of like, you know, the game comes out and the community has feedback. And then we already have plans of like what's coming out in the next patch or what's coming out with this DLC or stuff. So we have a list of things that, you know, we're gonna get to. And so when we see fans requesting things that are already on our list right uh that's gonna be like that's also kind of just like oh they gotta wait but i can't say anything but yeah. they gotta wait they're gonna get it soon but it's an instant win and, yeah. and, and there's there's two things that happen there i think is it shows as developers we're already in tune with what needs to happen in the game and it also gives the fan a, a, a win even if they don't realize you're already on the same level it's like what i want is what they want no matter how they experience that either either thinking they took their suggestion or just thinking we're already thinking the same thing it's, yeah, it's, mean, it's a good feeling of course we're never going to say like that was on our list like shut up we're already doing that <laughs> yeah. yeah so, so but, i mean yeah, a lot sure. of the developers here you know they're they're in the community they're they love the franchise just as much as we do just as much as everybody else does and so they're also thinking that stuff as well and there's a lot of stuff that they want to be able to put in to make it feel more you know authentically borderlands and there are things that it just there's an overlap right absolutely it it's a it's a conversation. Like I, I, I think that's that's one of the things that I find the most striking about this form of media and where it is right now is unlike TV, unlike streaming, unlike movies, unlike music, games are a conversation between the developers and the audience. Um, Noelle, you had mentioned that Borderlands 3 handled community feedback differently. Was that uh, on purpose or was it a reaction? I Well, so, I mean, we had... It's kind of a reaction to where the industry, I think, is moving as a whole. Um, but because obviously we had a version of a community manager for a majority of the time, Erica. Yeah, <laughs> she's looking at me because I started in marketing. I was marketing producer was my first title. And at that point in time, like it was kind of an all hands on deck. Yeah. And everybody who was marketing, community, PR, et cetera, we were all in one office and everybody was kind of doing whatever needed done. Um, we like, and when we started publishing like Homeworld Remastered, we were all, all doing that too. So it was yep. scrappy, it's scrappy scrappy now, scrappy. but it was like, it, it was, yeah, it was scrappy. And when I first started, which was five years ago now, like when I first started, it was still very much like that. And so it's changed a lot. And um, so you would have seen sort of the tail end of, of well, a pre-sequel, you would have seen like pre-sequel support, but into the launch of BL3. Um, yeah, right? for the most part. It was more, um, when I first came on, it was like the... I think it was like Battleborn? Yeah, it was the tail end of Battleborn. Yeah. Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah. Um, like I was still updating like shift news for Battleborn mm -hmm. at the time. Um, but yeah, that that changed into more of like... Like I... I, I don't know too much of what happened before I was here, but I know that whenever I came here, the level of just like attention that the developers gave the community changed. It felt changed to me. Like they, it started off and we were having live ops meetings and the conversation was like, uh, yeah, but I mean like, do we, you know, what are these, do we really need to do these things, whatever. And then that's changed to being like, no, yeah, they're, 
the, we we have the data to back it up. The community is here. Like we are seeing, hear them, and just the the level of respect and understanding and appreciation. Well, it also sounds like you approach it though from a calculated way. Like it's it's not um, a knee jerk reaction to the fan. The fans think uh, the handsome Jack should have different hair. Like it's like we. It's not a knee jerk reaction, but with that data to back it up, it's like I, I kind of want to go into that. If I was in your position, I would want to go into that meeting with the data and be like, here's what I want to do. We don't believe you. Boom. Stack of data. Yeah, like, I would come is... in. I would come in with lists of complaints yeah. and be like, this is how many times I've seen it. These are all the different platforms I've seen it on. This is these are the things I've seen the most. Like these are things that matter. Like, Which isn't to say to that Gearbox would be like, we don't believe you. But I'm just saying, like, I love that it's like, I want to do this, and here's all the numbers that say we absolutely should do it. Yeah, it was it's it's helpful. Um, but ultimately like it the conversation between that developer and the community just it felt different and more smooth ultimately. Um like after that. Yeah, I mean, she brings all the feedback from from the, our players and and basically uh, I started Borderlands 3 was my first big AAA title and that's when I started doing more of the live stuff. Um and for that, um we had weekly meetings like for example every mor Monday morning and it was like Noel, um it was um people from QA, we have our creative director, we had designers, we had um more producers. We had a bunch of people in that meeting basically just to hear like what happened last week in the game basically. And so she would bring in a lot of information kind and of an after and action report. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and not only that, but like it would help us kind of plan out future things too. So like if we couldn't address that thing that they really wanted, um, right away, then we would put it in the, in, in the list of things to do for the next patch or for things like that. Are there features that you've built with the community? Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, one of the big ones, um, is the anointment reroll machine. Um, so that one, we had an idea of uh, when BL3 launched that anointments were the new thing, uh, basically for Borderlands, and and so we had an idea of like people, kind of what kind of reaction they would have. But after the game released, we kind of got more clarification on that and, and feedback and all that. So one of the big things that came up was I want I want to keep this weapon, but I don't like the anointment on it. And in order to farm the right one, it would. Because we have billions and billions of guns, it would take so long to get it. So they wanted. An oh easy God! Access. You're saying you want? Yeah, I want this specific gun with this specific six hundred ninety nine millionth nine hundred and forty second possibility gun. Yeah, and I want it. I, I want it again. And you I make, want it yeah. just make number go gun. up all Jeez. the time. This Sorry. is actually a really good example of like something that looks like a gift. Like like if you ask players what do they want, they might be like, oh. You know, it's great that we have so many different guns and wouldn't it be cooler if there was another permutation of something yeah. that could be different on them? And then they get it and it's like, oh, now it's harder for me to get the one right gun right. to me. Yep. Yeah, because exactly. they each make their yeah. own builds their own certain yeah. way or they're like trying to follow um, one of the content creators builds that, you know, yep. they always yep. come up and they're like, yeah. this guy got this reroll, but he plays yep. 10 hours a day every right. day and I have a job. Yeah. Oh, this is, oh. Um, not that content creator. Musicians, this is, uh, this is when you see someone playing a guitar and you think if you buy that guitar, you can play like them and you can't. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I get it. I've always it's found like that, that to be true, though. <laughs> that's why you play a lot of instruments. Not all of us are blessed. Yeah. Are, there, are there story elements that have been developed with the community that have gone into DLCs or into seasonal events? Or I mean, we, we did have... Um, uh, for example, uh, Cap uh, 
what is it? Captain Haunt. Um, Captain so, Tron, Captain Hunt. Yeah. So the Tron family was a very popular uh, character in, in Borderlands 3. And when we were making um, Bloody Harvest, uh, we needed a boss. Um, and so in the game, you know, you defeat the, the Tront family. And so now we found a way to make one of them <laughs> as a ghost uh, character. And so that and was And it the rhymes. Boss. So, yeah. you know, that's a, that's a leg up. And so it quickly became a fan <laughs> favorite. Um, and so we, we, when we did, uh, when we would make mini events and stuff like that, we would sometimes make Captain Haunt like a big kind of raid boss type boss. And so, right. uh, so yeah, we do a lot of things like that. Is it risky giving fans what they ask for? Is it the pre the, the preconceived expectation? We're playing a dangerous game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It constantly is. But I mean, ultimately like, uh, you guys are, you know, the developers are making the borderlands that, that it's according to that vision to their vision and I, I think the, the the conversation that we've outlined the the way that the information flows it it almost seems designed to weed out um those kinds of potentially dangerous decisions where it's like the fans are asking for this well the people that made it and love it and take care of it think it should kind of yeah we can do that this way but not exactly this way and then we put it out we gather more feedback and it just kind of keeps it going as opposed to yeah, knee-jerk reactions and yeah. I mean, for example, one of the things that um, in in Bo3 was uh, iridium. At one point, was a currency that kind of had not a lot of use. And so, when we introduced the raid boss, uh, for example, then we made it so that you can only get to the raid boss if you pay a certain amount of iridium through door. Um, and so that became uh, something that we had to take an eye, uh, keep an eye on, because we also wanted to make sure that the currency was valuable enough. But also that wasn't too hard to get into, so that players wouldn't go and like play it. Um, so we did a lot of that, um, and then not only that, we do like mini events that give you more iridium. So like we take a lot of that feedback and kind of uh, uh, adjust our events and adjust our, our kind of data in the game, so that we can make sure that it's available for as many people as possible. Um, a year yeah. or two after launch, do you feel like the games are better than they were when they came out, just by virtue of that? conversation and that that sort of update cycle yeah i think borderlands 3 is a yeah i think it's i mean i think it it was a, it was a good game at launch i think it is a great game now that's fair um we've talked a lot about online community spaces let's talk about i, just, I love to say it meaty community spaces uh i feel like conventions are are the place where uh, not only do fans get to meet devs and get to explore, maybe they're getting to play a demo of something that's not going to be out for a year, but it's also a place that they get to meet each other and and sort of find their tribe. Um, if I if I see you across the hall wearing one of the 10 million shirts that uh, Erica's team has, has officially licensed, um, and I've got a similar shirt, like we, maybe we're buds, you know, like that, that that's uh, that's kind of how it all works. Um, I know that most recently, uh, the Borderlands 3 PAX announcement was was a huge event uh, for Gearbox. Um, and you were involved with that, right? Uh, yeah. So it was, um, so the announcement, uh, I just love talking about it. It's one of my like dragons that I'll probably be chasing for the rest of my community career, honestly. Because um, we announced Borderlands 3 at PAX. Um, 
and everybody, you know, had been waiting. Had, we've gotten all of our Where is Borderlands threes on the Facebook. Get that Facebook guy. Here it is. Every All of the devs were like, like it, the office was buzzing, right? Everybody knows it's finally coming and they, they put years and years of all their hard work and their dedication and their just lives into this. And this moment is finally happening and it comes time to test it. And uh, we're all in there and like all of the developers that have gone to PAX are in there. Everybody doing marketing isn't in there. And they're testing it and it starts. And all of us, like you could just feel the emotional like energy in the room. Yeah. And then we actually got to like showing it to the world. And we had the little technical thing, but once it started going, there was not a dry eye (laughs) at all in that audience or in the back. And I'm getting like notifications because people from uh, the studio are messaging me pictures of everybody was down at uh, Nerdvana, which is uh, below us. And they were just sending me pictures of just all of the developers just crying and just so like sharing that moment. It was incredible. Is that so? It's not just an opportunity to celebrate games. It's not just an opportunity for fans to meet each other or meet the devs, but for also devs to finally sort of feel that in person love. Yeah, like, and be able to share the things that they haven't been able to talk about and work on and that they've been working That's on. That's true. The, the, way, the way this industry works, it's highly secretive. Yeah. You think Marvel movies are secretive? This is highly secretive. Um, and it's done. Almost in a vacuum. Like once you're in this building, the -hmm. doors seal up, you know, and it's like no secrets come in, no secrets go out. But it's not like it's not secretive because we're mean. It's like like we're all keeping this secret because, you know, the livelihood of everyone, you know, depends on thousands of people. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. But it's also um, I don't want to say insular because this is a huge team and you have lots of people that you can share triumphs and, and and sadnesses and everything else with, but it can be seven years where it's like, oh my God, can the thing just be out? Can they experience what I've been working on? I mean, it's the combined effort of all of these different departments and finally making this amazing like piece of art that gets to go out there. And then I would assume with a reaction like that, it's pretty fulfilling. Yeah, for sure. It was, it's incredible. It's probably the highest morale moment that any company Game yeah, that's I mean, that's why announcements are so sacred to developers and why anytime that there's a leak, like it hurts every single developer, every like in not just in your company either, like because other developers are like, if that happened to me, I'd be devastated. Cosplay is huge at conventions. Is cosplay huge for Borderlands? Yes, 100 percent. We have a tiny bit. Yeah. You know, just a little. Yeah, we have one of the most spectacular cosplay communities, not biased at all. Um, and, but it's it's because of so many different things. And one of them is definitely like, for example, with Moxie, the cosplayers, like even just the, her character development, um, as I've been told, like the idea for her character was that you could walk into any Hot Topic, grab the things you needed for a Moxie cosplay, <laughs> and here you are, you're Moxie. Um, you I need know, a leather top hat. I need a Harley Quinn bustier. Mm-hmm. I need some fishnets. My striped socks. That's on aisle you know? two. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so <laughs> that that was the that's the rumor. That's the story from when her conception was. Um, and she looks like she works at a hot topic, honestly. So 
She probably, yeah. you know, might have, you know, yeah. who could say. <laughs> you never know. Um, but that and then also just the art style being so distinct. Right. It's, you know, it's really easy to go and grab a eyeliner and just, yeah. here you go. You've yeah. got your very distinct I, look. I will you say, look like Borderlands. even before I was fully aware of Borderlands, I was aware of the art style. Yeah. And the first time I saw somebody nail it in a cosplay, and it was a full body, full costume paint. Like yeah. like the outlines, you know, perfect jaw outline feeds into perfect, like the outline on the collar, down the sleeve. And then you probably had to look at them from one angle. But like from that angle, it was like, oh, is this CG? No, it's a human. It, yeah. <laughs> they, the cosplayers and, you know, they, it's such a, cosplay in general can be such a, like helpful community too. Like you have a lot of cosplayers that they'll do streams and they'll do their YouTube videos and all of that to kind of show how they made their costumes. And so it's it's more inclusive for people coming in too. So you see these people and they're like, look at my really cool Tiny Tina cosplay. And there you're was like, a, I want to do that. There was a um, live Tiny Tina at the launch party. I mean, yeah. Do you, yeah. I, I'm sorry that I don't know her name, um, but it was like, oh, oh my God, she came to life and she's here. Yeah. Like like fully embodied plastic hair, like giant witch hat. Like it was awesome. And I think like we have to give a shout out to like the Gearbox art team here too, because like like the art style is iconic, yes, but it's also like the amount of attention they put into the characters and the way that like every aspect of that character design there is so much storytelling in the way they do that character design and the way that everything about the visual of that character plays with the character's personality and what they do in narrative. And like, like, I think I appreciated that when I first came to Gearbox, but since then, you know, working on other things and licensing, like I've had situations where some of my license projects have to imagine things that don't exist in the game. And so when you sit down and you're like critiquing, new content for Borderlands, you have to start reverse engineering that whole thing. And it gives you a different like understanding for, oh, if you don't put that level of attention to how is the visual feeding the storytelling, how does the character design tell you who the character is and yet make them not a trope, all of a sudden you're like, oh, these people that I know who are doing these characters that I've been working with for years I'm trying not to swear too much, but holy <laughs> shit, like yeah. now I see what they've been doing. Right. And every like, character looks really, really distinct from each yeah. other. There's a lot too. of intention behind it. Yeah. A lot of them yeah. we can we can use their collar story to make product that yeah. you have no you oh, have no visual of the character there, on it and people know who it is. There's um there I was I was digging through a closet here, uh looking looking for set dressing and, and t shirts and things. And uh, there's kind of an abstract claptrap shirt that's basically just yellow with some stripes on it. And I was like, everyone would know what that is. Everybody. It, it, it is iconic. Um, do we ever license products that are almost specifically for cosplay? Yes. Um, and actually, there is, there's a pair of bunny ears right there on the table. And I'm afraid to <laughs> lean for them. Yeah, we're not going to move them. <laughs> um, but yeah, like that, that is some stuff that we did with Spirit Halloween. We've done with a few different partners, like items that are, you know, cosplay items. And because I know that some hardcore cosplayers are going to be listening to this, like, I'm going to tell you straight up, like, okay, is your Tiny Tina costume that you put hundreds of hours into better than mine that gets sold at an accessible price at mainstream retail? <laughs> yes, it is, you guys. Yes, it is. Yeah. Okay. Like, but... 
but not everybody can do that. Not everybody has the time or has the skills or whatever yeah. can make that costume. So a lot of times, you know, we do have partners who provide things that are like, if you need an easy point of entry into cosplay or, you know, even just being a character for Halloween or I don't care if you want to wear those bunny ears in your regular life, no judgment, you know, like, <laughs> like those partners will get people in that door there. And it's, and yes, it is It is not to the same level as like world-class cosplayers because, you know, when you make things for mass market, every ink line, every collar used, every little place where the sculpt of it has a shape, that's an increase in cost. And we, right. want, we want as many people as possible to be able to get these things. Um, you, you had told me, Erica, that you believe we did the biggest PAX panel giveaway ever. Okay, I challenge you guys. Call me a liar. But the year that we did, what year was this? Um, it was it was in the pandemic. We did the online the online PAX panel, and we gave away five hundred um, gun replicas, like this big gun replicas. I cannot remember what the price of those at retail was, but it was not cheap. We gave away five hundred of those. I have been looking, I looked at the time, I've been looking ever since, I cannot find another panel giveaway that I think is either 500 things or, <laughs> or that, that, that amount dollar of money. amount, and especially not an online panel giveaway. And they had to be shipped? Oh, yeah, yeah, and you the mean, the partner super came through on that, too. Wow. Yeah. Um, was this something that anyone could have bought later, or is there 500 and that's it? Um, that was, I believe that was like the last of those. Oh, so we, wow. we cleaned out the last as we were kind of finishing out that that deal. I know that sometimes for conventions, we bring Borderlands things into Meat World. Um, uh, tell us about the Froyo truck. So the Froyo truck, um, that was for New Tales of the Borderlands um, from last year. And uh, we have a theme. We do everything at PAX. Um, but um, during this one, to help promote that one, 2K was like, Froyo truck? And we were like, yes, Froyo truck. <laughs> that makes total sense. Um, and so the, the we had a... We had a truck and it was completely wrapped as if it was from Franz Froyo's shop and on the move. And a bunch of the 2K marketing people wore uh, Fran costumes and we were just giving away Froyo to anybody that was there to do it. But it was such a cool, like immersive little event. There is, there's something striking about especially with the Borderlands art style, seeing it in real life. Like uh, we have... 10-foot-tall Borderlands 3 character statues in striking detail all over this place. And they wear real clothes, the Borderlands yeah. 3 yeah. ones. They it's do. super weird. Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. it's 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 um When you see ominous. them taken apart and the clothes are, like, when they're in pieces and the clothes are, like, you can see that they're actual fabric, so disconcerting. Yeah. Those were made, um, I think those were made for the gameplay reveal event that we did where we had, like, 500 press and influencers two days in L.A. And uh, they were all, like, playing and, like, streaming the game at this little event space and uh we had these statues there of Troy and Tyreen and um and then I think I think those guys might have been there but they might have been at a different event but um yeah it's insane the kind of stuff that we were able to and then once you're done made statues you 
ship them you around them. to every yeah. show that you right, do right. that year. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. So they become like your best friends and travel buddies. <laughs> like, yeah. You get real used to it. Plus, them. it's yeah. the thing everybody wants to take pictures with. Yeah. It's, that's, yeah. that's the thing. Like, hey, I was here. I was here for this event. Yeah. And they get the picture with it and they're like, this lives with me forever, you know? Well, it's also, I mean, again, they are so realistic that it if you were 10 or 12 feet tall, it would seem like they'd come to life. It, it, but they're they're avatar scale to us, so they're, they're, yeah. they're kind of imposing. Um, tell me, uh, Erica, about the PAX garage sale. Yeah, so scrappiness. Scrappy, um, scrappy do. <laughs> yeah, so... So the thing about PAXs is um, they happen every year, and sometimes we know from a long way out that that's going to fit nicely with something we want to do, and we plan things way far ahead of time. And then sometimes every once in a while somebody comes to you and is like, hey, it turns out we are doing this thing at PAX this year, and can you guys put together a store for the booth? And there is not time to put together a store, like not at all, but like that's exactly the kind of thing that my team wants to do. So there is no way we are not doing that. Right. So Challenge accepted. Yes, challenge accepted. <laughs> and so we went down and started pulling things, you know, out of the deep cut archives, like our closet that's here. Some of these things were, some of these things were samples of things that were sold. Some of these things were things that were never sold, like shirts that were made for the dev team. Like some of these things were stuff that was here extra when I got here almost 10 years ago, okay? Like, so some of the stuff was super rare. We packed all that up on pallets, shipped it to PAX, and we literally had a garage sale as our PAX booth store. We did have a few did new you put little things. stickers on everything? It's a dollar, it's two dollars. <laughs> so we did do we did do some fun things, like we made some grab bags, um, and we, we wound up continuing to make them, like, where we were scavenging for paper sacks at the con and just throwing things in them putting them up there and then they'd sell instantly and we'd scramble to make another one. Um, people really like that. There's something about, um, no one's ever going to mistake Gearbox for a small indie developer, but when you do stuff like that, it feels, it feels very, it's scrappy. It's, it, it feels, there's a, there's a DIY mentality to it. I mean, I still, I still think of us as that indie developer, you know, because when, when I got here, we were still, you know, at right. that time, I think we were saying, we think we're probably the largest indie developer. Um, and that we still have, like, we've grown up a lot and we've got a lot more, you know, like a lot of things they were talking about earlier, we've got better at things and more organization makes it better. But I still feel like we have that heart of like, scrappy, we're going to put it together. There's a punk rock vibe to it. This yeah. is something we talked about, especially on the Borderlands 1 episode, is that by necessity, by there's no other way to get this done, it was very punk rock. And I think by laying that foundation in Borderlands and in Gearbox as a whole, it continues i i hope it continues yeah i mean i spent the pre-sequel launch party repeatedly troubleshooting and running the game demo on my laptop in order to one have demos and two meet a partner obligation and it sucked <laughs> but it was also amazing and it's like like i always want to be that person you know like i always want to be like oh, you're telling me that it can't be done, we can't do this thing we need to do? No, we're going to do it. We're going to fucking do it. What is the the DIY-ist thing you've had to do for licensing? It's hard to pick a top one. Um, the There is a Borderlands 3 vinyl cover um, with a psycho sitting with a foot up on a speaker. Um, 
we were trying to do drawovers to get the pose just right for that, and we couldn't do it. So I went down and posed in the Duke Nukem throne in the lobby. <laughs> um, there is a female. You have similar proportions, so yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's kind of funny too because that image. You know, sometimes I have to Google for things we've done, and when I am scrolling through Google image search and that album cover comes up, it has enough of my personal body language that I go, <laughs> why is there a picture of me in the search results? And it's not. It's that vinyl cover. Um, that's not the only, like, there have been other character poses that I or people on my team have posed for. Um, but probably one of the funniest is, um, okay. You're reaching for something. So I am holding a little, this is this is kind of like a big... I don't know what shot is this. Glass? Yeah, it's a big like a shot double-sized glass. shot glass. And it's got like some kind of coagulated yellow substance with little black flecks in it's it. It's unappealing. He doesn't know what it is. I know what it is. <laughs> um so we we did some candles with a partner, um Wick and Skull, shout out. And so we did we did a Tiny Tina's candle and with Tiny Tina's I was very specific about what I wanted it to smell like. I was like I want it I want it to smell like you know, um, kind of like hints of basement, something fruity and sweet, smoky. Gunpowder, maybe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they hit that one, like, pretty much the first shot. They knocked that one out. In fact, there was, like, one of the first comments on it when it went live for sale was, like, it smells like if you were playing D&D in somebody's basement and How somebody the spilled world? a grape soda. How in the world? I love that it's, like, mm, hints of, is that basement? Oh, you know, fruity bouquet. Uh, yeah, like, well, there's a whole science to like what notes co- conjure what. <laughs> but on the claptrap one, like mm. I wanted claptrap to be, I didn't want it to just be, this is a smell that is a yellow smell. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> and, not lemon. Yeah. And so, and I probably drove the partner nuts on this. We were sending samples back and forth. And then finally I had the idea, what if you take this sample that we have and it's this smell but you put some spice in it to kind of suggest like motor oil, mechanical sharpness. And to test the theory and see if I was right, we scooped some wax out of the sample candle, (laughs) took it down to the kitchen and dumped black pepper and sriracha in it, smashed it up and smelled it. And the whole team smelled it. And we were like, does that smell right? (laughs) And we decided it did. So we were then confident to give the partner the note of, Add some pepper and spice notes to it, and then we'll be good to go. Did the finished candle smell the way you imagined? Uh, yeah. Uh, my vision wasn't, like, as specific on Claptrap, um, but I knew I wanted it to be, like, it needs to smell good, and it needs to have some sweetness, but it also needs to have, like, kind of a robotic, right. like, burning, mechanical Burning note. motor. Yeah. Um, let's talk about community engagement and the way that we bring them into uh, uh, the process and, and keep that conversation that we've talked about going. Um, tell me about shift codes. Yeah. So um, shift codes are codes that we are able to put out and we we like to hide them everywhere. Um, but they are codes that you can use in the game to get in-game items like golden keys, diamond keys, different guns and gear. And um, they have been a part of the kind of Borderlands ecosystem since I think Borderlands 2 is when it really started. And um, then it was, you know, a lot of a lot of golden keys and they were released 
regularly um, out on social. So one of the things we do with them is we put them in some of our marketing materials to kind of like, hey, go play the game, you know, um, and uh, give people rewards for, you know, tuning in and paying I attention. I know Pitchford's fond of tossing them out all over the place. Yeah. They're just spilling out of his pockets. Yeah, he uh, he releases one once a week. And then there was actually like, and like I mentioned, we're, we hide them sometimes. There was one of our trailers where um, for Borderlands 3, where we would hide them in the different in different like scenes of it and just in different spots. And so people were going through and they'd be like, ah, this is a little part of a shift code. This is a little part of the shift code. Uh, just so that they could, you know, and they got to do that and then they could redeem it in Borderlands 2 when it worked. There was another one where um, we had a shift code that worked in Borderlands 2 at the time. Then when Borderlands 3 released, it switched over. So you could actually get a reward in Borderlands 3 as well. And they're just like these little... You know, just little like, hey, thank you. Like, it it, it, yeah, it gamifies part of your life that isn't a game, you know, yeah. so it can be fun. Have you ever hidden one in a licensed product? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's something we do. We've we've had products where there's one on the packaging. Um, we've done that several times. We don't always do it because the thing about shift codes is like we need to respect their value. Um, and... So we do it when it makes sense with product and, you know, of course, like there's some there's some dev cost associated with doing it. So it has to be, you know, it has to be something where it's feasible and it makes sense and it's going to make the experience better for the player. Do they come to you guys and ask if something's possible with a shift code or is it just like... Yeah, yeah for sure. All uh, right now. All, yeah, <laughs> it's <laughs> happening right now, actually. All the time. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, no, yeah. And, and that's the, the cool thing. Again, shout out to our Spark team for developing this system, yeah. but... Um, but yeah, you know, we're able to give away just not not just the golden keys, but we now in Borderlands Three we we introduced diamond keys, uh, which are even more elusive, um, and then we're able to do uh, specific weapons. So even to the specific part of the weapon, we can. So that gets you your that. random gun that you love forever. Yeah, with the like, anointment that you <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So we can do exact weapons with the exact type of things that the people want, or we can do a random weapon. Uh, we can do max level or we can do the level that the player is at. Um, so we do a lot of things like that for special giveaways or, or you know, different like for a game things. for a game known 50 percent for loot. <laughs> you know, that 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 is that is um, by it's a full buy in to that idea. It's like you want the loot. We've got the loot. We're going to make it fun. We're going to gamify it. We're also going to bring it into the real world. You have to you have to look at something elsewhere from the game to get something that goes into the game so. yeah for sure and when we do things like mercenary day or things like that when we have skins um related to that holiday um in borderlands uh then we give out shift codes that give you those cosmetics does that, that fall on the same day every year uh did we canonize mercenary day <laughs> it, um, <laughs> is it like april 14th or something like uh so <laughs> mercenary day is um kind of our replacement for a winter holiday. Okay, okay. Um, that's nice. It's it's <laughs> it's uh, wholesome. Uh, tell me about The Hunt. So The Hunt. Um, it actually just ended, the last one just ended. So The Hunt is a community event that is, um, uh, Killer6 is the community member that generally like starts getting it together, like absolutely amazing human. And its purpose is to raise money for St. Jude, and uh, you do this by people will stream the game, and it's like a um, it's like a scavenger hunt for guns. So you start off a new character, and you go through, and you're playing the game, and for every drop that you have, a point value is associated with that gear level. 
And so you're trying to get as many points as you can. And then the first one who gets that wins the hunt. But then the uh, donation side of that is like you have to record it in some way so that they know that you're not, you know, you know that you're doing it legitimately. And so a lot of streamers will use that opportunity to raise money for St. Jude while they're going through this hunt for this oh. one week. And so uh, this year, the the Borderlands community was able to raise $69,000 nice. uh, over that. Um, and uh, and they stopped right there. They were like, yeah, no more money, no, please. Dead. Yeah, it was a little bit, it was a little bit more, but it was 69 for sure. Um, <laughs> And uh, usually 2K and Gearbox will donate some merch and things to it. And uh, this year, Randy actually donated some of his time, I think, to teach like a magic trick or something over Zoom. Uh, of course, he loves that. So, um, yeah, it was a another great year that they do it. Um, this one was for Borderlands 3. I think that they're planning on doing another one later in the year during the wintertime with Borderlands 2, which is where it actually started. Where should people pay attention if they want to be involved with that? Ooh, um, last time that Gearbox said anything about it, that gave the site the hug of death, but it is the, um, <laughs> I think it's Borderlands Hunt or Hunt.com, um, uh, and generally that will get you to where you can kind of see updates for it. And then the entire Borderlands community kind of rallies behind this, so just that, keeping an eye. That was also part of uh, a big decision for us to to include those dedicated drops yeah. into Borderlands 3 is to make sure that the hunt continued. Um, and that was something that we kind of valued. And so uh, that was part of what made that decision. Yeah. And so the hunt continued. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Erica, I wanted to wrap up licensing talk with um, why are you the – was it destroyer of dreams? I prefer dream crusher. Dream crusher. The um, dream crusher. But you should know, though, that working in licensing also means having your own dreams crushed, like, all the time. Um, <laughs> that's – Everybody on my team will tell you that. Like, yes, we crush dreams. We also, our dreams are crushed. Um, and we kind of got into it a little bit with like, why is your cosplay thing that you spent hundreds of hours on better than a mass market thing? There, there, there are a whole bunch of limitations and a whole bunch of steps that things have to go through for licensing. And a lot of, a lot of licensing is we can do more things and more things can happen than we could do scrappily on our own. I right, mean, right. But- Part of the, you know, situation with that is a lot of the direct work goes out of our hands. So there there are sort of economies of this that we do not control. There are market factors that no one controls. And then there's sort of a chain of there's what there's what the partner wants to do. There's what works for us in our universe. And then if they are like retail dependent, then it's and then you also have to get a retailer on board. And all of these things, like every step has its own set of limitations. So like you might be limited in the amount of paint colors you can do on something or like you want to do a really niche product but retail is not comfortable with that level of niche they want something that's more mainstream like, what about products that are pitched to us that we have to reject for for whatever reason oh i mean we we reject things all the time um one that is uh, like if we want everybody to be sad um a thing that comes <laughs> up over and over again is we have to reject a lot of things that have to do with borderlands guns just because it's not feasible, like because there are, you know, a gajillion guns, mm -hmm. however many our official count is now. Officially, it's a gazillion. Yeah. Um, it, so you and I could play through and never fall in love with the same gun. So how do you pick which guns to do is one thing. Most partners cannot do 200 guns. They might be able to do three or four. <laughs> 
most retailers are only going to buy a handful of guns. And the way our guns are procedurally generated, there's not, I can't just pull you this gun model. It's a gun model made of several different parts that if you don't really understand the system, you can't work with the 3D files. Right. Um, so a lot of times, like, there will be ideas that have to do with Borderlands guns that are the right ideas. I know people would want them. We can't do them because the amount of work to do them and the sort of, like, in order to do it in the way that the fan would want it, it fits in nobody's budget. Um, we have, right up next to your head, there is a Borderlands gun thing that is really cool. Those, I mean... To that partner's credit, like, we warned them that that was going to be hard. They wanted to do it anyway. We embarked on it. It was very hard. They stuck with it. It took a long time for us to get those together, and they're really cool. But that is that is exactly why there's not more Borderlands gun stuff, because it's hard. So I've sourced a list of rejected products that <laughs> I don't know what they are or what they're about. Siren fist bump rings. Okay, this this is one. This is not a rejected one. This is a dream that cannot be. Okay, so <laughs> if you are Mario and I looking at each other yeah. like, oh, where is where? ours? <laughs> yeah. So if you're an old school Borderlands fan, you remember the classic trailer where Maya and Lilith do a siren fist bump. I still see cosplayers at shows doing siren fist bumps. We thought, what if you had two rings and one of them was kind of like red, like Maya's color scheme, and one of them was kind of like blue or red, like Lilith. No, no, no. (laughs) I do know my characters, you guys. Oh, my God. Um, So one's like red, like Lilith's, and one's like blue, like Maya's. And maybe they have like within the stone, like their individual tattoo patterns hinted at in there. And if I have one and Noel has one and we do a fist bump when they get close to each other, oh, like man. they'll both like a blinking what? light. Like and the, the the tech exists to do it. Like I've talked to a partner. Would they be a thousand dollars a piece? <laughs> they wouldn't they could actually be done at a price that maybe not everybody could afford them, but some people could afford them. But it's just the whole matter of no retailer is going to take sure, this. Sure. Um, I'm I'm having the thing that we just talked about. Why don't you do that? Like, but it's it's kind of obvious why yeah. you don't We're do gonna it. We're going to see a cosplayer make these yes. tomorrow. An Arduino. Like, yeah. see it. An Arduino. Some soldering skills. Some mini <laughs> LEDs. One of y'all. Come We're gonna, on. Yeah. We're going to see this tomorrow. Yeah. Like it's it's a product. It, like it it's very hard. It's like like. If I wanted it to exist, I would have to fund it, and that's not really what licensing does. Right. Um, I guarantee you no retailer is going to take it. It also has the problem of that essentially you need to sell them in sets, and then two people need to, you know, have yeah, them. Yeah. And, you know, then I you mean, have the thing like – I know. Mario and I are like one I, set. I mean, yeah. yeah, but who's going to be Lilith and who's going to be Maya? Are you guys going to fight? No. I Who mean, do you want to be? I'm, I'll, I'll be Maya. I'll be Lilith. Duh. There you go. Okay. That will that never obvious. happen with any other friend group. <laughs> that was but. really obvious. Uh, Mario, you've got a shirt that I've never seen before. It's yeah. Claptrap dual, dual wielding pistols and says BAMF on it. Is yeah, that an officially sure. licensed product or is that it's, just for us? It's not. So this is a dev shirt. Uh, this is for Borderlands 2 VR. Um, and actually Erica helped us with the logo and all that to make the shirt. Um, but if you've played Borderlands 2 VR, you know what BAMF is, not the traditional meaning of what BAMF, we all sure. know BAMF is. It's but. not the sound Nightcrawler makes when he teleports, <laughs> it's something yep. else. Um, so uh, this is for Badass Mega Fun Time, which was the- That's uh, what I meant, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the the main kind of uh, feature of Borderlands 2 VR, which slows down time. Um, so uh, we decided to put that on a shirt. That's uh, interesting that you can go to 
licensing and be like, this is just for us, but let's go through official channels. Exactly. Yeah, because I'm really good at criticizing things. So like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We went through legal to make sure that we could put this on our show. Yeah. We went through licensing. If I get seen in a yeah. Starbucks with this, are we going to be in trouble? Like, yeah. I, I, I've worn it out and people have liked it. So. <laughs> yeah. um, Erica, the last thing that I want to bring up uh, is we, we when we talked uh, on our VO episode with April Johnson, localization was something that I was not I was not prepared for the realities of of uh, eight hundred lines of please explain to me why this is funny to a a, a Japanese person or or to a German person or whatever um, de- deconstructing things that seem so obvious to us and then figuring out how they might work in other cultures. Does this come up with licensing? Yes, it does. Um, and I, I think that whole field is fascinating. And I always want to know, like, if the translation is different, why? Yeah. I love that. And then sometimes, sometimes something happens. I want to know. I want to know the worst one you got. Okay. We had a product submitted um, that was, it was supposed to be like a really cool butt stallion themed jacket that was kind of like, I, kind of like a streetwear, kind of like a bomber jacket. It was really cool looking. And we want to do it as if it's like a Japanese fashion item. Okay, cool. You know, so we'll do a Japanese butt stallion jacket. And so we get the sample in and we're all like trying it on and we're fighting over who's going to steal it. And then we're like, hey, you know what, though? Like we should probably check the Japanese on that. And um, our lawyer, Nate, breeds Japanese. So we go and look for Nate. Well, he's not here today. So uh, Meredith on my team, she's like, well... I took some Japanese in college. If I sit down and concentrate, you know, I can probably figure this out. So she goes and sits down at her PC with the jacket, you know, and she's um, typing and concentrating and everybody else in the room is trying not to be distracting. And she's over there, you know, kind of hmm, making a little thinking noises. And then she's like, uh, um, oh, no. <laughs> And we're like, what? And she's like, I think this says anal stallion. (laughs) (laughs) And it did. (laughs) I um, want it. Oh, yes. Like, I mean, obviously, we did not ship that product, but the one sample we have is (laughs) one of the most requested items that people on the team want to borrow. Is it here? It's here. Can I, after this, can I wear it? It's probably like a ladies' medium, right? No, I think it would fit you, actually. Um. Anal stallion. Thanks for joining us, Vault Hunters. Please put on your officially licensed Borderland Mr. Torg headphones, the ones that automatically bleep all the curse words in your music, but add those same curse words into conversations on the phone with your mom. And subscribe to the audio version of Echoes from the Borderlands wherever podcasts are available. Or you can drill some breathing holes in a mini fridge, uh, learn to ride a unicycle, and show off your claptrap cosplay. Uh, when you subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash gearboxofficial. That's where you'll see future episodes of this show. If you play video games, and who doesn't, and you'd like to get every current Borderlands game at one great price, go snag our new bundle, the Borderlands Collection Pandora's Box, available now on Xbox, PlayStation, and PC, 
Huge thanks to my guests, Erica Hollinshead-Stead, Noel Pugh, and Mario Rodriguez, as well as our behind-the-scenes heroes, April Johnson, Dakota Warren, Matthew Ward, Rob Fernandez, and Hannah Terry. Our theme song is Get Out of My Head by Wandermind for Echoes from the Borderlands. I'm Joel Watson. See you next time, Vault Hunters. Thank you.